Hello and welcome to CM Conversations. I'm today's host, Rebecca Cook, Head of People at Charlton Morris. Today's episode is dedicated to Mental Health Awareness Week, and I'm joined by mental health specialist Jamie Shires, who's partnered with Charlton Morris since 2019 and helped build our wellness programme. In this CM Conversation, me and Jamie talk about how workplace culture can impact mental health, the balancing act that leaders must master to support their employees, and offer advice on how to improve your personal outlook on your work. Whether you're a business leader looking to better the support for your employees or just seeking advice to improve your own well-being, there's something here for everyone. I hope you enjoy listening. Hi, I'm here with Jamie Shires, founder of Uplift Mental Health. She's been supporting Charter Morris for around three years now, uh, normalising, talking about mental health in the workplace. Um, So will it be a mental health uh, awareness week? This May, and um, we're here to talk about what we can do to normalise those conversations in the workplace. So, to kick things off, do you want to start by introducing yourself, Jamie? Um, so, yes, I'm Jamie. I'm the founder of Uplift Mental Health, um, and I'm a trained counsellor. I've been working in counselling profession for over five years now. Um, and the way I work with Charlton Morris really is providing prevention tools. Uh, so, in terms of wellness chats talking early. Um, I also provide education support through trainings and I also provide um, su- you know, uh, mental health support for challenges such as counselling um, for anybody who needs it. So yeah, that's how I'm, I'm here to help. So I suppose when we're talking about normalising mental health and talking about mental health in the workplace, what do you think are the main contributors to poor mental health in the workplace? I find that the, the biggest contributor really is the workplace culture um, and, and I guess the message that's implied through senior management sometimes, you know, if there, if there is a, a contradiction, you know, sometimes a company say that they're very, they have an open culture and they do, do encourage mental health, however, the style of management of, of the managers can, can be a bit contradictory when uh, maybe they're um, micromanaging or contributing to, to a feeling of um, disease, in, in, you know, amongst their, their team. Um, if there's a, it's a highly competitive culture, I find that that also contributes greatly to anxiety and to stress. Um, and I know that a high pressure environment as well, you know, there are many organizations out there that are working under high pressure. Um, and all of these things do contribute because it, it triggers a certain um, belief systems that individuals, are, you know, kind of buy into, which is that, you know, they have to comply with certain behavior, they have to achieve a certain thing in order to be deemed worthy or to be deemed, um, yeah, I'm gonna use the word worthy because I think that ultimately is what it all boils down to, you know, how people feel about themselves at work. Do I feel like I'm good enough? Am I contributing enough? There's a lot of things that people worry about at work. Um, in an environment, you know, how am I being perceived by my colleagues? How am I being perceived by my manager? Am I doing enough? Um, and some people sometimes don't don't feel that they are doing enough. They put themselves under more pressure, or they want to be high achievers, and that as well can contribute. So, you can see it's it's a it's a mixture of things, but ultimately, I believe it comes down to culture. Um, from your HR perspective, what what do you think? Yeah, I completely agree. I think we spend most of our lives at work. And I think having that strong culture and strong values that employees can connect to are really important in kind of promoting positive, um, well, good mental health in the workplace. 
I think um, without that and with that disconnection from the where you're working, um, I think people can spend the majority of their week feeling feeling down, worried about, like you said, are they worthy? Are they good enough? Um, and it's quite detrimental. So I think a strong culture is is critical. Um, and I mean, on culture, obviously, you've supported. Charlton Morris for around three years now have you seen attitudes change during that time or kind of what's your experience been of working with us that's a really it's a really interesting question because I do remember my first kind of uh, mental health awareness training when I I came to this company and there was a lot of very serious faces Um, there was a lot of discomfort it was very visible that this topic about talking about mental ill health in particular and I think just the word mental health I think there was an association that mental health was the same as poor mental health. There was very little understanding that mental health was a spectrum, and, and that's something that I worked really hard to try to, to, to teach people in, in this company. And I do feel that over the years, there's been a, a greater understanding of that. Um, so education is, plays a really important role, and I do feel that it has, has helped. And not, not only that, but a certain level of intervention as well was required. Um, you know, and working closely with HR and working closely with management sometimes has been really important as well to try to to change um, factors that maybe there's a, sometimes there's a lack of awareness within you know senior management and a lack of awareness within employees as to things that can contribute to poor mental health, and it's trying to educate that and working with with the organisation like like we've like we've worked in Charlton Morris to to try to improve wherever we can. Um, to, to, to create this safe environment, really. It's about creating psychological safety. Um, and, and the way you do that is by demonstrating that it's safe to talk and giving people the opportunities, the, the, you know, the different, um, well, through the wellness chats, for example. You know, the wellness chats is something that is an opportunity for anybody who was challenged by anything on in a day-to-day basis and this was something that was really highly used during the whole lockdowns last year wasn't it during the whole covid and and even the beginning of this year we've had a few wellness chats and that really that was something that we established and the usage of that has been increased you know it's been consistent i would say throughout the years in the beginning it was this kind of novelty well what what is a wellness chat but it's you know used appropriately people know that if they need to talk they can reach out and contact contact me or my colleague mark so i think that that's really helped yeah definitely i think um no you can like you said there's been um kind of seen changes over the years and i suppose during lockdown you've probably seen the impacts of those wellness chats the most like you've just said because people were i imagine feeling a bit lonelier more kind of anxious more stressed um, so yeah, I think having those in place from my perspective um, in the business, I think people really do appreciate them being available. Um, and I know you touched a second ago on the role of management within the company. So what do you think that leaders can be doing to support mental health, not just at Charlton Morris, but anywhere? What could leaders be doing to to support um, good mental health in the workplace? So I think the role of managers is more, especially with COVID, I think, since since last year, has a much greater emphasis now on managing the well-being of of their team, of their their staff. 
Um, whereas before, maybe there was more of a focus on, on achieving targets. And, and although that's still vitally important, obviously, to managers, managers do have this dual role. And this dual role can be a bit conflicting and can be really challenging for managers because on the one hand, they, they want to achieve this. But on the other hand, there is this very kind of, you know, more of an empathetic, nurturing side that's required of them to, to, to get the best out of their employees and to ensure that their employees are supported so that they can work to the best of their ability. So for many managers, this can, this can be a bit of a tricky juggle. And I, and I do remember, you know, and I have spoken to many managers um, since last year about how do we balance this out? How do, we, how do I do this? Because on the one hand, I'm under pressure to, to perform myself. I myself am being managed to ensure that I'm meeting these targets and these, these, these deadlines and, and these projects. But on the other hand, you know, I've got a team of people who may be really struggling because of lockdown, because, you know, because of isolation, because of anxiety, because of worry about, about their health or the health of the loved ones. So, you know, how do we do that? And, and that is, that is a, it's a difficult thing to do. It's, it's about, you know, following your intuition as a manager and it requires a really high level of self-awareness, you know, and emotional intelligence in being able to read your team and reading the, what you're getting back from, from your team. What are they saying to you and how comfortable are they speaking to you? You know, are you checking in with your team? Are you asking them how they're doing and are they responding to you? If, they're, if you're not getting much back from them, then maybe that's where that self-awareness needs to come in. You, you as a manager need to be wondering, right, why am I not getting, having these conversations about how people are doing? You know, is it indicative that they don't feel comfortable speaking to me? And if they don't, do we have other support structures available so that they can speak to someone? Because that's what we want to be encouraging. We want to be encouraging a culture that supports um, mental, the whole full mental health spe spectrum. So from people feeling well, but you know, the minute that they're feeling challenged and struggling with stress or with anxiety, then they need to be talking to somebody, to a professional, so that they can nip it in the bud or, or do something to start to feel better again. Yeah, I can imagine as well that you probably come across that more in high-pressured environments or, you, I mean, we're in recruitment and other sales-based environments where there are such obvious targets for teams to be hitting. So I can completely appreciate why managers feel that kind of, they want to be supportive, but at the same time, they know that they've got these these targets to hit. And obviously there's been a huge change, hasn't there, over the years from just focusing on employees' physical health and making sure that, you know, that we've got a duty of care to employees and that their physical health is looked after to this shift towards considering mental health as well. So it's a lot to a lot for kind of managers to learn and, and deal with and do you have any kind of tips for managers that are really unsure where to where to begin with it or what to do you know if somebody is they do suspect somebody's struggling in their team yeah so I think for managers as well if, if they're feeling challenged in that dual role um, or that sometimes there's an internal conflict right where, where sometimes you and, and this is it this, there's an ethical conflict as well at times that managers are faced with, you know, and, and my advice to managers would be, you know, one, for them to speak to, to somebody that they trust in HR, perhaps, if they're feeling conflicted, to get some support from HR, um, or to, to speak to, um, if they have a professional coach that they can speak to, um, you know, it's, and, and even to their own, to their own director, they feel that they have that relationship, you know, acknowledging that maybe they, they may need more support or training themselves, I think is a, a good first step and acknowledging that because, um, you know, they want to be the best that they can and 
you know, to support their staff to get the best out of their staff, right? And um, and I think in in terms of of that as a manager, you know, it, it, it this, you know. It, as a manager, it's not only that. I think what I'm thinking about as well is the level of change and the continuous changeability of the environment that that we are finding ourselves in. So, you know, managers are having to to navigate through through the change of not being in the office and then suddenly being back in the office, right? For many of them, or working in a hybrid way, where some some are in the office, some are not in the office. So, in terms of the relationships that they develop, they, you know, there are members of staff that have joined organizations that have never met face to face with their manager. So, how do you develop a relationship of trust with somebody through video link and through Zoom? So, there's so many different factors. I think training and talking about it, you know, so talking amongst managers, having doing management meetings, um, talking about these things is important for this conversation to be brought up. Um, in the same way that me as a counsellor, I'm always speaking to a supervisor every month, talking about anything that I'm challenged with. I think managers should have something similar in place. They should have a support structure in place for themselves to talk about anything that they're feeling challenged by and how they can improve their management style so that it can filter down to, to the teams. I think that personally would make a huge... That's part of the whole prevention side of, of, you know, of the mental health conversation that we're having I think is is that really yeah I think that's really interesting because I think I can imagine there's some managers that think that they should just be able to deal with that and support employees and almost not seek that that support for themselves so it's really interesting way to look at it and have you seen over the last year any shifts in how people are approaching the idea of mental health in the workplace since obviously the pandemic has there been any changes in what you've experienced or seen well, I mean, I've seen a massive uptake in terms of the well-being um, trainings that I offer, um, me personally, but I know that as an industry as well, there's been a huge interest in, in wanting to support their employees. It's It's been really positive, um, the way that certainly organizations have, have dealt with it here, but I've also, you know, even in, in other parts of Europe and the Americas, I'm just noticing there's a lot of companies that I have personally have supported that they want to provide that support for their employees. They really genuinely, companies seem to really care, a lot of them, and, and because of that, they're, you know, they're investing in, in mental health provision. So this training, these trainings really make a big difference. And I've noticed as well, another interesting thing, and going back, I think, to maybe to the first question about have I seen any differences in Charlton Morris, during the wellbeing trainings, you know, and, and these have been done through video because they've had to this last year. I've noticed a lot more people contributing, you know, talking and, and you know, partaking in some of the conversations because part of the well-being training has been, you know, opening discussions about certain topics. Um, one, one of the uh, ones I can remember was about, you know, endurance and how, how can we endure during the whole COVID marathon. And it was just so great to see that more and more people felt comfortable talking. And that, to me, is a sign that there is a shift in the culture when people feel comfortable enough amongst their own team members, even through video, um, you know, to be able to speak up about their thoughts or without feeling judged. That's a sign that there's psychological safety at work. And, you know, and I think that's something that companies can really look out for. It's right. How comfortable do people feel about speaking and sharing? Um, do we have, you know, enough provision or support for people to speak privately 
these wellness chats is something that I've seen another massive uptake. So one was the well-being trainings that I offer and that, that I know a lot of organizations are offering mental health training, but also wellness chats is something that I uniquely offer. I don't know of many companies who offer this, but there have been many, many organizations who've taken this up for their employees on a monthly basis um, as, as just giving them an opportunity, a, a a safe space to share, a safe space to talk, because these organizations like Charlton Morris, like Pivot, and like many others, are aware that and people are being challenged, and that you can't separate you can't separate your professional life from your personal life, can you? No, not at all. You just can't. So knowing that the two are interrelated, and, and knowing that okay, you know whatever's happening at home, you're bringing it into work, and whatever's happening at work, you're bringing it home. We, you know, it's that duty of care to provide people with at least a, a safe and private and confidential space where people can just offload. Yeah, and I think people really appreciate it, even in terms of when we're getting new people into the business and I talk about some of the benefits that we offer. Um, we get a lot of interest when we bring up the idea of wellness chats because people do want to, they, people, like you said, people don't need to be feeling at their lowest to have a wellness chat it's a chance to offload and I think people do really appreciate that um and it's great to see people kind of light up when you mention that sometimes so um yeah I can imagine that especially over the last year they've been a lot more than there probably was before as well I think in terms of wellness chats what's fascinating for me as well is how they're used by different people right um some people use them as an opportunity for personal development it's just a a, a 30 minute chat and, and some people want to develop themselves. They, they, maybe they're noticing, you know, I wonder why I think like this or I wonder why I behave like this sometimes. And just having that chat about the unconscious aspect of an individual, you know, that kind of the psychology behind why we do things. Some people find that really fascinating and really benefit from it, you know. And, um, and or if they've something experienced something, they're like, I wonder why, why, you know, why I did this or why, you know, why I can't stop thinking negatively? What can I do? And giving them the tools. And then if they reach out next month, you know, the, the next month, maybe that's something that they want to continue to build on. So it's it, every individual is different. Some individuals have different reasons why they get in touch. Some individuals ring once and, and don't need to reach out again, whilst others like to have a, a bit more of a consistent kind of support that they that they really benefit from. So I find that really interesting. It's just because the wellness chat is something that's, like I said, is something quite unique that I, I kind of developed. And it was it was developed really for Charlton Morris, first and foremost before anyone. But from there, it's, it's something that now I offer to, to all organizations that I support. And to see that the uptake of that is so, it's, it's, it's so positive. It's, it's something that's continuously increasing. Um, I think that's just a sign that people want to talk. Yeah. And I think it's really interesting what you just said then about how some people use the wellness chats because I suppose there'll be people that won't ever consider using them for that reason to, you know, kind of do some... trying to understand why they might be feeling a certain way or the the self-development aspects of them. Um, So it's great to know that they are being used for that reason. And in terms of, obviously, we've spoken a lot about what managers and businesses can do, but on an individual basis, what would you kind of say or what are some tips that you could give for, for individuals that are struggling with mental health or even just wanting to make sure that they're maintaining good mental health? So if, if as an individual, if your organisation is providing you with some kind of support like a wellness chat or employee assistance programme and you feel personally challenged by something 
Um, for example, if you've been struggling with chronic stress or with, with anxiety, where you just, you know, your head is full, your thoughts are, you know, when I say anxiety, you know, there's different degrees of anxiety, um, but you don't need, to, it doesn't, you don't need to have an anxiety disorder to be getting in touch. You know, if you're finding that your head is full, you're constantly worrying about everything, you, you're jumping to the worst case scenario all the time, and you just want to feel that you have more control over your thoughts and over your emotions, then that's a good time to reach out. I think anxiety, certainly from my perspective, is a feeling of not feeling safe. And where that originates from is not feeling safe within ourselves. When we don't feel safe in our bodies, we don't feel safe because we're putting ourselves under pressure all the time. We don't feel safe because all we're doing is thinking negatively. We're, we're seeing the world through a negative lens. And of course, we're not going to feel safe. Anxiety is going to be part of our life. And, you know, and that can escalate to the point that then it, you know, it's like a snowball effect. Over time, that pattern of thinking and that pattern of feeling and that pattern of behavior just it, it takes over your life and that's when anxiety disorders kind of happen you know when 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 it it just takes over your life to a point that it feels uncomfortable that your life is very limited and and you know you're limiting yourself to the things that you're you're able to experience and do so don't wait till it gets to that point but if you are at that point that's okay too the important thing is to recognize that there's always hope there's always support and there's always something you can do to manage your own mental health and to, to take that control back for yourself. I think that's the one thing that people don't realize is that ultimately the choice and the control is with them. And I think that's what speaking to a counselor can really do. It really, it, it empowers people, it reminds people that they have that power to make a change for themselves. If they want to change, if they want to start feeling a sense of peacefulness and control, that, that's ultimately up to them. Yeah, definitely. And how, I know you've just spoken about how you'd kind of identify anxiety in terms of stress, because obviously that's something that we all experience often. And obviously there always is going to be an element of stress experienced when um, within kind of the workplace. But how do you, how would you kind of say to somebody, what is that level of, right, okay, this is too much. I shouldn't be feeling like this, rather than just accepting that, you know, I'm, I'm, I'm working, I'm stressed, I've got a lot of targets to hit. What's the line that you'd think that somebody should? I think, certainly, it's when you notice your inner critic is constantly on. And what, what I mean by the inner critic is that inner voice inside our heads that um, is, is quite controlling you know, the inner critic is, is, it's a bit like a mean parent, you know, the, it's that voice within us that we're always put, is putting ourselves down all the time, it's what we do is never good enough, you know, it's just people who, you know, really want to do their best, but, you know, all they're doing, whenever they look in the mirror, they're just looking at aspects of themselves that they really don't like, um, or when it comes to the work that they do, they may have done something good, but they overlook what they've done and focusing only on what they, you know, believing that they could have done more. What, you know, it's, it's nothing's ever good enough. That inner critic usually is a sign that there's, you know, you're putting yourself under too much pressure. You have too many expectations of yourself and you're under a lot of stress. I mean, so many people I speak to that they're not even, they don't even realize that there is this inner critic, that this voice is having such an impact on them. And I think that if they can identify that voice and, and they can change what they say to themselves, if they can start being a bit kinder, they can think of that inner critic instead of a, a you know maybe more of an inner coach, where that voice is more 
supportive, yeah, pushing them to the best of their abilities, but more importantly, highlighting their success, highlighting the positives, looking at what they can do well. It's about, it's a balanced view, isn't it? Yeah, definitely. Makes a huge difference. And with that, if somebody is starting to kind of feel at that level where, you know, the inner critic is, is constantly kind of speaking louder than kind of that other voice what would you is there any practical steps that you would advise somebody could take to in that moment or in that day to try and calm that and to try and bring themselves back to that kind of sense of equilibrium I suppose yeah so I think the first thing to identify is that that voice that inner critic isn't you it's a voice that's developed from your survival mode your ego if you like to keep you safe but it's sometimes that that kind of um, survival technique that, you know, to keep us safe, that, that kind of critical voice, it, it, it takes its own, you know, tone and it, it, it can become something that's really unhelpful. And um, the, way to, the way to look at it is it's, you know, although it's meaning to help, it's not very helpful. So we have to balance that. We have to recognize that within us, we have the ability to counterbalance anything that we think. If we are finding that we're being really self-critical, we can counterbalance that with a little self-compassion, right? And, and, and thinking, you know, and it, it takes self-discipline as well. It's something that, you know, it, thinking, changing a pattern of thinking like that, or, pa- you know, that changing a pattern of, well, that critical voice is a pattern of thinking that we've developed over time. So recognizing that's what it is. It's a pattern of thinking that's not very helpful that we need to change. And only we can change it. And the way to change it is by introducing balancing thoughts, more positive thinking. Um, what we're trying to do when we're doing that is trying to neutralize it. We want to neutralize the voice so that the voice is neutral. We want to have more of an observ- observational voice, more of a compassionate voice, something that's going to help us and empower us rather than cause us anxiety and, um, and fear paralysis you know where we can't act or it's stressing us to the gazoos that we can't you know we can't um, function properly so um it it is about balancing but sometimes there are lots of good books out there that you can read and that there's you know um so one of the popular books is obviously the power of now which is recognizing it a lot of people recognize that one um, but like that, you know, there's, there's books, um, you know, on self-compassion, there's books on the inner critic that you can find online, lots of really good, useful resources for self-help. However, sometimes self-help isn't enough. And what you need is to speak to somebody who can point you in the right direction, who can help you highlight that for yourself, um, or who can work more specifically with, with specific examples in your own life to, to get you to get the ball rolling. So you know, there is a time it's, it's, you know, some people like doing it on their own and like self-help, but there may be times where you just need a little professional support to help you along the way. And it wouldn't take much um, to do that. So yeah, that's really interesting. Um, And I think, yeah, I mean, like you said, The Power of Now, I absolutely love that book. And I think there's so many interesting reads and podcasts that I personally have found really helpful as well. so I mean, I suppose to wrap things up then, uh, what would you, I suppose, say are the biggest, the biggest points to take away in terms of how you go about normalising, talking about mental health in the workplace? Sure. So the, I'll, I'll talk about it from sort of an employer's point of view and from an employee's point of view, right? So from an employer's point of view, um, you know, it's about thinking, 
you know, at a director level, you know, the, uh, really considering that workplace culture. And is there enough support for managers? Because managers are really key and pivotal in ensuring that there's good mental health in the workplace because they really have the most influence over their employees and, and the relationship between the manager and the employee really ultimately impacts um, how everyone's feeling. And also, you know, inter interdepartmentally, you know, how, if competition is being, you know, encouraged between departments, that can, you know, cause a lack of trust. So I'd say... Yeah, from an employer's point of view, it's build that open culture, you know, really be observant, uh, ensure that managers are being well supported, HR staff are being supported, that HR are being used as well. And um, because it's such a wonderful resource, such a, a great way of, you know, HR team is what connects employees to, to management and, and make sure that, that that resource is being used properly um, to build that wonderful open culture of, and, and psychological safety that every every person should be feeling in an organization. Um, that it's not, you know, it's people before profits rather than profits before people. I think that ultimately makes a difference. And then from an employee's point of view, you know, what can you do to self-manage, to manage your own well-being and mental health? Well, the important thing is to be really observant. How are you feeling physically? If you're feeling tension, if you're feeling stress symptoms, then that's a sign that there are things internally that perhaps are, are in conflict. Um, you know, thinking about, you know, your thoughts that are running through your head, is that inner critic switched on or do you have a sort of an inner coach that's switched on? So being observant of that, I think that really would help. And ultimately talk, just talk to friends, talk to family and talk to professionals if you have access to that because it's private and confidential. Oh, great. Well, thank you so much for that, Jamie. It was lovely to catch up with you. Oh, thanks, Rebecca. It's been really fun. And, um, and I just hope it's been helpful. So that was my CM conversation with mental health specialist, Jamie Shires. It was great speaking to Jamie and I'd like to thank her again for sharing her insight on this really important topic. Hopefully this has given some insight into how you can normalize the conversation about mental health and given anyone listening some helpful advice that you can take away and support your workplace with. If you'd like to find out more about Jamie's offering or the workplace culture we're building at Charlton Morris, please feel free to get in touch. You can find me on LinkedIn or give me an email at rebecca.cook at charltonmorris.com. Thank you so much for listening. Bye for now.